I always had pocket mezcal with me, and I do a lot of stuff with um, pocket mezcal. Yeah, <laughs> pocket mezcal. Yeah, is, is that exactly what it sounds like? Just like a, a tiny <laughs> bottle of mezcal, like in your pocket. Yeah, it's wrapped. <laughs> uh, it's wrapped with like cowhide, and so it looks. It, I mean, it's super unique. I give someone that and they're like, I don't know what's in this, but I'm going to drink it <laughs> because this isn't your normal flask. I need to, I'm going to start carrying around a pocket mezcal. I'm an educator before I'm a salesperson because I have to teach so many people. This is what it is, what it's made from. This is why it's different versus this is what makes ours better. Like people don't even know what, yeah, I, that's my favorite part about what you and I do is is the education part, and then it doesn't become a sales pitch. Yeah, you know, you just educate someone on it, they learn, they try it, they like it, and awesome, let's do it. So it makes the job more fun, and and not just uh, sit in a sit in a room and plan a meeting and and like figure out how we're going to go out and do this and then go. It's just being completely genuine, telling a story. Yep, and and. Whoa, almost dropped mine. Whoa. Almost spilled it. Spilled my jicara. Um, the ones that are going down and buying brands, that's the Diageos, the Constellation, the the Pernodes, the the big, big brands, you know. Um, I guess in the Mezcal world, there's really only one that has sold to big brand. I guess not just one. Maybe some have, the big brands have created, but um, Del Maguey, one of the mm-hmm. kind of, forefronts in the one of the bigger names yeah yeah one of the figure yeah the father figure of mezcal he has moved down or lived down there for three years i don't know if he's from there or not no he's from new mexico he's an artist yeah right so he moved down because of what he loved and then he wanted to bring it to the u.s and this was like 30 plus years ago he's been kind of fighting this there's another guy uh douglas french who um kind of was the same thing i think he's more from northern california but They've been fighting this, getting the, fighting the education side of everything for a very long time. Hmm. All right. Well, I was thinking there was going to be like the Empire and the Rebels or something. I really wanted to know who to hate <laughs> and who to like. But it sounds like everybody might have good intentions with what they're doing. Well, Maybe. No, 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 no. No. Okay. Good. Yeah. You, All there's, right, good. Still, I, there's still the yeah, darkness there. It's, it's Somebody like, left you know, to hate. Good. Someone going down there. I'm going to put a slap a cool name. It's going to be. The magicians that's my bottle name and they're mm-hmm. just trying to sell our, ours is carreño like what's it mean it's like it's a family it's a family <laughs> name it's not an easy name to say carreño like that's what we do versus someone going down and there's los amantes it means the lovers and that's what people are trying to romanticize the spirit in their marketing way versus us we romanticize people by being like authentic and they're like oh that's what i like you guys have no money that's cool i'm like <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah cool uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> Abel, you had said before that the family was, um, or were farmers, Correct. uh, Agaveros, were they producing simultaneously or were they farming, selling to producers and then eventually like, Hey, let's just do this ourselves or they was doing, it always coincide? It, it was a mix because again, the agaves, so in Oaxaca, agaves grow everywhere. Like you pull into a gas station and there's huge agaves everywhere. And so they were actually doing, um, sugarcane. They were making molasses to sell the Bacardi family. They would also do corn, tomatoes, different vegetables like that. So they were doing staple crops versus there There was never a mezcal. They would make mezcal for quinceaneras, weddings, celebrate. Like even then they wouldn't drink it all the time. It was celebratory. So beginning of the harvest, end of the harvest, quinceaneras, weddings. That was it because no one was buying mezcal outside of Oaxaca. No one was drinking it outside of Oaxaca. And so they would actually, the money was in molasses. They have... Um, at the Hacienda, they have like a relic we still have it saved 
from the Trapiche, which is like the, they actually, forward thinking, Pedro Carreño bought like a German machine to help them produce the molasses. And so we have all these um, setups still there for the molasses. And we actually bury mezcal now in the caves underneath it. So that's something super unique. We're gonna be, we'll, we'll bring up our Cava editions later on, but that's kind of a, a relic to the mm-hmm. past. And it's almost like a museum when you, when you come there. We, we, we left them there because they don't make sense anymore now. But they're still super cool because they're part of the history of the family. But they're what the agaves are everywhere. So you're out in the fields, and here's agave there. So you would just go and harvest what you was ripe, and then that's how you made it. So there was never we're farm like we're now starting to actually farm the agaves. We are cultivating. We we have wild agaves, but we're at the very cutting edge of looking at planting tobasiche, tepastate. These are agaves that take 12 to 20 years, 25 years to grow, because now we know we need to start because we're selling the U.S. Our Thea's looking at going to Germany, so starting to sell in Europe. And as we grow, we're going to need to have more. I have a question about that, but I'm going to kind of like reel it back just a little <laughs> bit. Just so, you need a real yeah, intro? Hey, yeah, maybe we should uh, start the episode. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I know. So uh, welcome to Always Parched. Uh, I am Woe, joined by my two good friends, obviously, Dinger and Micah. And today we have a guest with us. Um, Abel Arriaga. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, you can Arriaga if you want. So. Uh, Ar- Arriaga. There we go. Um, and, you know, we finally made it. This is the episode I know Micah's been waiting for ever <laughs> since we started uh, the we idea of podcasting. By the way. We, we promised at episode 100 we would do a Mescala episode. Oh, was so, it? Yeah. But in fairness, you said that the episode would be Micah Loves Mescal. Yeah. So... Right well, now, you might be, not still love Mescal <laughs> if I just spoiled what we're yeah. talking about here. Hey. Yeah, well, well there's no, only he, two options. He's he couldn't wait for it. It we're only on episode, I don't know, 10 or something. Well, it's my, it's my fault. Listen to the, yeah. the podcast. <laughs> I heard Micah repeatedly go, oh, Mescal, Mescal, yeah. Mescal. I'm like, you know what? There needs to be intervention. And I, I know. Yeah. I'm I, part I, of the problem. I have to be the one to, to do this. That's so that awesome. way the future, the next 90 or what is it? Maybe 98, 97 or excuse me, 87 episodes will be a pro mezcal, yeah. you know, getting That's ahead right. of the future. Have you read the book by the smoke and the smell by Thad Vogler? I don't believe If not. it's not on your bookshelf, you should definitely get it. It's my favorite book of last year for sure. All of the books that people bought with that book were mezcal books. So okay. I think uh, you would enjoy it quite a bit, but there's a specific, get by the mic here, quote that I think is important, especially for me on a day like today. <laughs> it says, I do not consider art in a vacuum, and I do not consider spirits that way either. It's about more than just quality of the spirit. I allow myself to be biased by story and community. So, that's why I'm especially glad you reached out because even if at the end of the day, Mescal is still not my favorite, I will be biased by your story and the community of it all. So I'm very much looking forward to what we're going to do today. Yeah, I'm glad I can take you on that journey because it really is. Those those were the things that we didn't realize mattered when we started talking to the bartender because we, we came from no industry experience. They're like, the story is what sells. We're like, well, fuck, we have that. Like, right. <laughs> we were worried about pricing and marketing all this. Like, like nope, if you can tell a real good story, I was like, well, that's... Let us easy. sit down, yeah. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's, yeah. it's been it's been hard and easy at the same time with our experience so far with launching the brand here in the U.S. Finally, right? Yeah, especially with a, a spirit like this, it's it's a lot of education, which I know from your social media you're doing a lot of. So hopefully you're starting to make some major dents in the industry. Oh yeah, it's fun uh, when 
I was talking to a, a bar manager. He goes, it's getting to the point now where if someone doesn't have Carreño on the cocktail, they have a weak bar program because you guys are such a shining star to put on your cocktail program. And I'm just, that kind of made me step back. I'm like, <laughs> wow, I never, I, I'm not, it just, it, I got speechless. I was like, that's such a cool thing. This happened? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I didn't know how to respond. Words. I was just so happy. <laughs> no. And I was like, wow. That, you know, I never thought about it that way. Because, again, I'm trying to do so many things and wearing so many hats. It's tough for me to be the bar manager and all the stuff that I see them experience. But to hear some someone say something like that from just this short time. But it could as we're, we're very connected to the community from everything we're doing. Um, the relationships we're forging with people across all these different lines it's it's that's why i think we're connected so fast and so quickly yeah even before you had product you were out educating you know bringing people into your home and doing dinners and tastings and you know i think that that was obviously a, a really great start and you know i think a lot of people knew about it before these bottles even landed yeah mezcal mezcal monday is what we call them and i just i like the sound of it i didn't realize industry night was monday night that's who we needed to come out so it, it was one of those just happenstance things that really helped us take off and we just had the bottles we fl flown back with because we were waiting for our new bottle design to be finished and so we just i had a couple friends that i knew chef juan from chulik he's like oh i'm bringing a psalm I'm, I'm bringing one of the head chefs tandy from the phoenician I'm like oh man i gotta cook this is these are some like, heavy hitters i tried to make tostadas that first time because normally i just I don't even think we had, we had oranges the very first one. That was like the first legit one. And I tried to do tostadas while we were trying to teach. And I came in, beans were burning. I was trying to scrape <laughs> the top. I'm like, now I'm going to give them all this burnt stuff. After that, I was like, all right, I need to do something different. So I started making my almond dip. I have like a chipotle almond dip because I know it like satisfies people. And it was super cool to have all the chefs be like, I need this recipe. And I'm like, nice. I'm going to sell you almond <laughs> yeah. dip and I'm going to sell you yeah. my yeah. style. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> But it, yeah, that was just our, our springing board to once we finally, and again, it got to the point where everything took so long. Managers and bar owners were like, where's this mezcal? They were waiting to buy it. And I was like, uh, more than another week, another <laughs> month, because government shut down. I mean, you name it. We had a bunch of hurdles that were, were stopping us. Once we got here, it's been uh, a racetrack since. Yeah. Well, we've said it a bunch of times, I think, in passing, but just to be clear, so you're with Mezcal Carreño, and it looks like you brought a little um, little present with you. So, four of them. We, yeah, a couple of them. Yeah, four different presents. But we have two in front of us. So why don't is it is it appropriate now to go ahead and uh, give it a taste? Do you want to talk yeah. about it now, or should we, or do you want to wait? No, we can start. I've been sipping mine because I oh. have been working all day, and I, I, ate, I ate a bunch. Of, <laughs> I actually made tostadas oh, today before I oh. came, so I was pretty heavy full, and it actually really helps your stomach when you are uh, sitting on a bunch of food. Yeah, it's an aperitif and a digestive, so yeah. mezcal is a, a great spirit. But yeah, go ahead and start sipping. Um, we try to bring up a lot of mezcal culture, but we try to combine it with our roots here in Arizona too. And so the copita, the little clay one you have before you, that's actually made by an artist down in Tucson, Stoneware Wolf. Um, she did these really cool coffee mugs and we were doing a mezcal. Well, I say it was a Mexican Independence Day pop-up last year and I was just really enamored with her cups. I was like, they're so cool. And I had an idea and I showed her the little jicaras and said, can you make something like this with this style? And she popped them out and it's been a super unique way for people to enjoy mezcal that kind of connects it here to Arizona. But that one has our, our tobala in it. So all of our agaves are wild. Um, they're all hoven, so they're they're clear. We don't age them in barrels. I tell people ours are aged in nature 
because our plant species take between 10 to 25 years to reach maturity before we harvest them. So with each of these, kind of smell it, you'll see a completely different nose than most of your um, tequilas you're going to get or even a lot of your mezcals just because it's going to be espadín, which is a different varietal. Um, but we think these are the four that kind of you'll see as we dive through. They're all very, very dynamic in terms of the difference in, in taste that you'll get from it. But yeah, I got I to gotta circle back. I think these drinking vessels are awesome. Yeah, it's a very great way, I think, to have it stand out aside from all of the other things that make it stand out, you know, taste, mm-hmm. um, story, all of that. But then just to, to consume it in this, it just makes you feel very connected to everything. Like it's just another another great way to have a connection with the spirit itself. So thanks for bringing these. Yeah, yeah. no problem. And that's, that, that's kind of our goal was to build a bridge from uh, Oaxaca to Arizona and then back and forth. Can you hear my clay? Yeah, they, don't, <laughs> they don't clink as much as the glass. So mezcal, I think it's really become uh, kind of, as you mentioned earlier, a staple on a lot of pretty, pretty much any um, cocktail menu that prides itself on, you know, being, having a great bar program. Uh, I even, but even beyond that, I think there's a lot of places, uh, that especially that really like serving margaritas, you'll see at least one or two mezcal margaritas on there now. So, uh, I am all about it. I think it's great. I really love the spirit. And, but oftentimes I will get the question, um, from friends and family and whoever about, well, what is, what is that? What's the difference or something? And I think it often gets mistaken with tequila, um, you know, based on the similar profiles be, be, as a result of the agave, I'm assuming. So I figured we go into a little bit of background before maybe diving into some of the real specific cool stuff about Carreño, about the difference between mezcal and tequila. I don't know if there's something specific you tell people or a really good way of describing it to people. I always kind of fumble around and try to best describe it. But I don't know if there's something, do you tell people that they instantly understand or do you just kind of really have to break it down? Yeah, Dinger probably has a similar way. I have to correlate it to something that people, that they already know, that they already drink. In my my thought, it's it's the easiest way. And it's been used, um, called, I should say, the wine of agave spirits. Originally, like in the 1500s, it used to be called vino mezcal de tequila. So that was the very first inception of what it was called, vino again when Spain had control over uh, Mexico. And so once someone realizes it's the wine of spirits, I say, when you say mezcal, it's up here. Tequila is a part of that. It's underneath the the grandfather. It's part of that family tree. Then you have Raicilla, Bacanora, Sotol. And then depending on how, what their mind looks like, if they're actually getting all that stuff, because there's a bunch of uh, names. Uh, But I just, I say it's like Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Malbec, Redblend. You didn't walk into a wine bar and say, I know which wine I'm going to like. You, you tried them. And once you tried them, you're like, ooh, I really like Sauvignon Blanc. I really like Malbec. And then maybe as you drink more and more wine, you realize you like something else better. It's the exact same way with Mescouts. It is an acquired taste, but it's definitely a taste worth acquiring. And wine is that thing that people can resonate with. And once, you know, my wife was all about Chardonnays for a long time. Now she switched because she's changed her palate and she likes Sauvignon Blancs. And it's the same thing with Mescal. You have to try them to find out what you're going to like. And that really helps people understand there is going to be a difference. It's not, you know, everything's a grape in wine, but they taste vastly different from where they're from and, and how they're produced. I, I you know, I, I think that's a great way of saying it all. I might even take that with me. Um, but I definitely also associate, I, I try to bring the, the wine correlation in. Uh, I speak more for, uh, on like the terroir side of it. 
because when I speak of a plant um, and its maturity level, like this is, it takes 12 to 15 years to mature. I see them in, in some incidences thinking that it's aged that long. Like the, the, this liquid is aged 12 to 15 years, but it's clear. Why is that? How is that? So to get them to understand this is how long it takes for these plants to ripen. Picture somebody traveling through the mountains and taking care of this plant for 15, 20, 25, sometimes 30 years, making sure that worms aren't taken over, weeds aren't taken over, just to have, you know, and how much is that going to produce? You have to now have a lot of these plants to do, especially Tobola, the first one that we're drinking, is such a small plant. You need so many more just to get a good yield. Um, but speaking of the terroir and, and the maturity level um, regions, there's 12 different states you can produce in. How many different varieties or species of, of agave? There's like hundreds. Yeah, there's right? over 200 plus agaves. And then of those 200, there's about 40 that can be made into mezcal. I mean, obviously more can be, but really to get quality, get the sugar content, yeah. you're looking at about 40 is roughly that number that can make a mezcal. Good, decent, yeah. decent mezcal. So, you know, wine, grapes, they take, the, you speak of terroir so much in wine, and the grape grows on a vine over the course of eight months. And it absorbs the the elements, the environment, the soil, the the climate, temperature, all this. Imagine what minimum 10 years is going to do, 10 to 20, 30 years. So that's kind of how I start getting them to then, okay, yeah, I do need to try different things. I do need to experiment and see which one I like. I love a lot of Karwinski agave, um, but I've had some that maybe on this line I like the, the Tepestate. I like the... Um, the other marks better than the quiche or the, the those expressions. So you all you know all these words, right, Michael? Well, I was gonna say <laughs> this could be a really dumb question. So it is. Uh, <laughs> in my front yard, I have blue agave <laughs> growing. So in 15 years, because there, it's just a little thing. <laughs> Can I do something with that? Would that? Is it uh, blue? It's blue Weber. I don't know. Or it's just the, the color blue. It's blue agave. It's blue agave. <laughs> Is that a... Probably not. Most... Yeah. Um, they, there, are, there are some agaves here um, that the indigenous used to use. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of it. The Palmari. Um, yeah. It's just the sugar content needs to be the right level. And they don't grow as well here. There's actually some blue Webers at the Desert Botanical Garden in Tempe. And they look sickly compared to the ones that you mm. would see... Um, down in Mexico, but that's because they have the right humidity and soil. Um, so you can, they can be grown here, but they wouldn't be the right sugar content. Even if you get the right species of plant, it probably still wouldn't grow. And then you go into the actual rules and laws. If you even say you had a whole, you know, cultivated a big farm of them, they wouldn't be able to be called mezcal because of the denomination of origin. It's a place plant process. And so it would be the sexy word agave distillate would be what they would call it. <laughs> yeah. From my front yard. <laughs> but I get that a lot. Michael's people. agave distillate. <laughs> right. On our tasting mat, yeah. the front of it has like the pictures of the agaves and someone will be like, oh, I have, I have this one in my front yard. And it's just, it, it's like cousins. They're all, you know, they could look similar, but they're going to be still very different. On yeah, the, it looks on like the this side. one. Yeah. The Tepestate. Uh, we are actually going to have some of those up. We're um, partnering with uh, the Desert Botanical Garden botanist. And he's going to help us get some of the seeds up to start planting them and having them available there at the Desert Botanical Garden so people can see what these plants actually look like. Mm -hmm. uh, again, we got to worry about putting them in shade because of the heat and the, 
the, just the dryness here compared to down to Oaxaca, but it'll still be very cool to do an event there and be like, here's your tepestate, here's your tobasiche, now drink it. For sure. I think, you know, Colton Ladera. Never heard of him. <laughs> he was, uh, he, we, we would try doing an, we didn't try. He talked about doing an educational event where he would bring in the agave or the plants along with, and then so you're, you're seeing what you're drinking. And I thought that was the coolest thing and, and a great way to get people to like understand it deeper because, you know, I was rambling off a bunch of things and I think you guys are like, you know what you're saying. <laughs> it might be confusing or, or, you know, just a lot to take in uh, right off the bat. I'm a visual person, like hands-on, seeing things. I absorb them a lot quicker and, and learn, so I think that's going to be fun. Yep. Well, so two things, actually. One, um, I don't know if any of you went to the Lost Lake Festival. This is just kind of a random side note. Uh, two years ago. A couple years ago, right yeah. on run. And they had, uh, they had like a, an agave garden or something, and it, I don't know what was actually there or what, you know, if it was actually going to be agave that was used in anything. But what I noticed was that they were selling, you know, a bunch of margaritas and they had like some tastings, I think of tequilas and mezcals and stuff. And I just thought it was really neat because people that were grabbing some drinks and seeing this garden just generally had questions. Like it just kind of piqued their interest. And, you know, like my wife, when we were there, she's like, Oh, what is this? What? And I was trying to, I didn't know very much about it, but I was like, Oh, agave is, you know, what is used to make tequila. I'm sure you didn't say that when you were describing it though. What? (laughs) You were like chest puff. You're like, Whoa, let me tell you. (laughs) I know everything there is to know about this over here, babe. Yeah. Hold on. Let me me hop on Google. It happens. Uh, How much have you had, dude? (laughs) Not much. These tiny little vessels uh, actually slow me down. (laughs) What did we just say about the They slow me down in drinking. Mm. They don't want it to go away. Um, So a couple... That is a very good way of describing it. And that's why I I said I'm going to have to take that because sometimes I get ahead of myself and I'll go in for a staff training and I'm like, all right, guys, you know the difference between tequila and mezcal? Tequila, five states. Mezcal, 12 states. Two of those are crossover states. Sotal, three. Bacanora, one. You know, these are these plants, 100-plus varietals, just like – and I find myself like, all right, backtrack a little bit. Slow down. Well, it's because you, know, you have I just such get so, a wealth of knowledge. It's I get so passionate you. about yeah. it. That's my thing is I just love the story. I love the history. Blame it on the passion. Blame it on the yeah. passion. Terrible teacher. <laughs> Blame it on the passion. Yeah, uh, I wanted to go back to your description because that was an excellent way of – Describing it, but not instantly losing someone. Obviously, you've had a lot of practice, and it's yeah. something you care about. I I remember I went to a, a restaurant and ordered a drink with mezcal in it, and they like cut me off saying, "Okay, this has mezcal in it. Are you all right with that?" I was like, "Yeah, I'm good with that." Then they're like, "Well, no, it's like a smoky tequila. Are you sure you're all right with that?" I'm like, "This is a terrible sales job." Yeah. Yeah. Because now you're taking. So you're a telling thing. me you don't like it, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it does probably two things because if you don't know what it is, and you've now said tequila, and now not everyone loves it, and then you also said smoke, which is another thing that maybe not everyone likes. Mm-hmm. And even if it's a fairly accurate description, it's definitely a good way to make me change my drink order. Yeah, and that's that's unfortunate, but that's again when we first started, you know, doing our market research and seeing what was out here it was a lot of espadine it's the very smoky espadine just tends to absorb the smokiness it's more it's cultivated that's why it's much more affordable in terms of your bottle cost so they've been cultivating that for years now we're at the cutting edge of starting to look at what cultivating like the tobola we just did twenty five thousand of those because again like dinger said they're much smaller um about the size maybe a basketball 
oversized basketball, the pina part of it. And so we have to plant a lot more of them and they take 10 to 15 years. So you got a lot more time than your tequila plant, which takes five to eight. And so those guys, when they're, they're trying to teach people or, you know, pitch it, it's, they're going to what they know, but unfortunately tequila is very industrialized for the most part. But now you're seeing a lot of brands go back the opposite way and go back to the rustic way that it was created. And tequila is getting better for it because it just got so big. We're just going to sell all these liters and liters. And now people realize people want to spend a little bit more and get a quality product. Mm -hmm. And that's why I feel like, again, we're blessed to be this time. And, you know, our parents grew up with, they want the same burger on the East coast that they can get in California where we go to places now and we want, I want, I want the Portland burger. I want the Seattle. I want want something from that area. And it's the same thing with spirits. We're seeing it now. Uh, The spirit side of things are, are becoming that. And unfortunately we just have some industry people that are, they need to have some good mezcal in their world. Not all bars have it. Not all bars even have a lot of mezcal. So I'm happy they have it. But it's, again, that you have to work around maybe not having a quality one or their industrial one that they have is just a really, really bad one. I was at a place not too long ago, and my wife and I went out for like a little little mini date night. Had like an hour or something and <laughs> popped in and mini. what are we going to drink? What? <laughs> that is mini. That is <laughs> one hour. Ready to go. Yeah, we were like on our way home. We had an extra hour. So we're like, well, let's stop and get a drink close to the house. And so I saw Carreño on the back of the bar and I was like, oh, perfect. I'll take, uh, let me just, let me, let me get the Tobola. And he's like, what? <laughs> I said, the Mezcal Carreño? He said, which one? I said, those, those bottles over there, the, you know, can I get the, he's like, oh, the Mezcal. <laughs> like clearly it's the only one <laughs> in there. I said, yep, that one. So he brought over the sheet and I'm like, yeah, I'll take this one. But it was cool. But it's like, it's the start of it. Yeah. And to go back to how tequila has improved over the years, I do know that mezcal regulations over the past year or maybe two by now, seems to, things fly by so fast, has uh, had new regulations around their labeling. So, and that's to honor traditional production mm-hmm. to where you know the quality. You can look at a label and see, well, this is probably going to be a little more quality. Like in tequila, you have mixtos or 100% agave. And to go deeper, you had mentioned that people are getting better sources, better production, more traditional production methods with tequila. So mezcal now, it you only really want to drink if it says artisanal or ancestral. Hmm. If it doesn't say that, if it just says mezcal, they can be pretty loose with their production. I've even heard that they technically don't even have to use the plant. They could use agave syrup, hmm. which is getting into that mixto and that was just like, I don't know, I, I, I fear that it's big brands seeing the growth of the mezcal category and coming in and wanting to just like industrialize and have additives and just pump out bottles. Yep. So you guys are kind of referencing um, something that I came across in my research, again, not being experts like you guys, having a general general foundation for uh, the differences. But one thing that you guys have touched on here I feel should be made more explicit, which is just the the difference in the process and one key distinction between um, mezcal and tequila, which is that, you know, they both use, I think, the core of the plant um, in the spirit. But tequila is, my understanding, um, processed in a way where they steam it in industrial ovens. And that's all like above ground, where as mezcal is cooked in pits that are lined with like lava lock, lava rocks. And so that's, I think that's where the smokiness comes from. That kind of um, uh, gives it that distinctive feature. And that's one of the things I try to 
one of the things I tell people or my wife or whatever when I'm trying to explain a little bit about where the smokiness comes from, because the only other smokiness she's ever encountered is peaty scotch, and she hates that. But she does like mezcal. <laughs> well, it can be subtle. Like what? So what you guys sipped on the Tobola, um, that's the first of our four that we have, and you can see it's not a smoke bomb. There, you you taste the agave, and obviously the smell is very different. But I'm curious, what what did you think of that that first sip of of a Tobola versus your Espadine, which is probably what you're most used to to sipping on? You get more fruit. There's kind of like some peppery spice. Um, I'm not getting like full smoke, but definitely the the enough to know that it's mezcal over being a tequila. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I back on the it. tequila, you had mentioned steam. Mm-hmm. That is one. That's autoclave. That's the kind of newer traditional method would be a brick oven, okay. and a lot are going back to the brick oven. So you're getting, you know, it's kind of quicker with the steam, but you don't get full flavor. You get the two different flavors. Both can be good, but I just wanted to. But that, that's the thing. There's there's so many variables. Tequila can be produced a different way. I mean, there's people putting in um, their own yeast. They're putting in acid to speed up the process. From from ours, when we harvest the pina, to when we can bottle, 28 days. Well, when you're a big guy trying to produce a ton of liters, they want yeah. as few days as possible. And so they're going to cut whatever corners they can because they're all about bottling up the next package, sending it out. Mm-hmm. But we can sit on our bottles and we'll refill them when we need them and ship them out. It's not not something like that that we need to we're not a race against anyone but ourselves so it's very different so dinger mentioned this but he said you only want to get and i had not heard this before but uh a mezcal that says either artisanal or you said something else but uh, ancestral ancestral Ancestral. but i noticed yours says artisanal Mm -hmm. uh so i take that to mean at least in the context of liquor that you're using more traditional methods um, and processes to make the mezcal. I'm, is that a correct assumption? Yep. And so there's regulatory committees down in, in Mexico, and they're run by the government, and they're very stringent. They've, they've learned a lot from the growth of tequila. Uh, the CRT regulates tequila, and the CRM regulates mezcal. And so they come down there to verify these processes. So a big guy can't get artisanal if he's not artisanal. Mm-hmm. He can't pay off the people like he used to be able to do <laughs> back in the day. Um, like Dinger was saying, they were actually trying to pass a law that was going to get rid of that. It was just going to be all mezcals were going to be mezcal. You couldn't put anything on there. Well, advent of social media and information being able to be shared. You had growers. You had the maestros. That's what they call the, the, mez- the mezcal makers. Um were coming up, different brand owners were coming up from different parts of Oaxaca and, and Mexico. And then also buyers from the U.S. came down. The buyers from the U.S. coming down is a new thing. And they're saying, if you change this law, we are no longer going to buy your product. Mexican government immediately said, okay, this makes sense. The big guys were going to have to put industrial mezcal on there. So they won in that sense where now it just says mezcal. But the small producers like us can put artisanal or ancestral on the bottle. Because now if you're at the, the store and you see three different labels and it's 30, 60, 90, and they all said mezcal, you're like, I'm just going to buy the 30. Now someone can quickly read and say, oh, you know what? There's probably a difference. Artisanal. This one has to be made a better way. It's probably worth the extra $30 than the one that isn't. And those are the changes that are happening now. And again, I think that's why we're blessed. Mezcal is coming up right here, right now, because there's all these learnings from tequila and its growth and its popularity, and they saw what happened to its heritage and its tradition kind of get diluted in the chase for money. And so they said, hey, let's 
let's make the small guys be able to survive and be able to put out the product that they've always put out for their families, for their communities to maintain that ability and make a living. Because in the end, that's the thing. Everyone's trying to make a living and it's phenomenal. We've met a bunch of different workers down there that, oh yeah, I used to live in San Francisco and Texas and all these different places and they were legally in the U.S. and now they're coming back to Oaxaca because they can make a living. They're either farmers or they're doing um, cups, the tourism. It People, they're having this outrage of all these um, people trying to come over the border. Well, people are coming the opposite way because they can make a living and that's, and that's all they want to do is make a living for their families. So, um, but again, it all comes from a spirit that people just didn't appreciate and now we're seeing that appreciation and I'm going to spend a little bit more and that's, it's actually helping a lot of people down the line. Could you give like a quick breakdown of what the process is on how, on how you guys produce it? Yeah. So once you harvest the, the pina, which is the heart of the agave, you have to cut off the, the leaves. And they're um, big, right? Well, I guess there's different varietals, right? But this, some of them look really big. Oh yeah. They can via be pictures, you know, 300 plus pounds for oof. a pina. Um, you, they can be like elongated, like the uh, on the sheet here, the Karwinski ones. Mm-hmm. See how it's more tall? Uh, Tobasiche. Kind of spiny, the Tobasiche. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Is that what we just had in this one? That's what's in that cup. The second one? I'm yeah. going to say something out of character, and it's not pandering, but I quite enjoy that one. I, I, I actually like that one, too. I should have wrote down my little, I was actually going to put down and say, <laughs> this is going to be your favorite. And really? That oh, was, yeah. that was what I was going to Because it has some of those notes that I think connect to other spirits in terms of a little bit of sweetness, a little bit of strength, and then that root that you kind of get from it. So it really hits everyone's palate. Um, yeah. differently where this guy dinger over here i'd probably say tepestate just because he drinks a lot of but again it's i've learned these things from over time from from trying it with everybody because but. you drink a lot <laughs> hey a, a mature palate yes is what I, there you or go. a defined palate is what my, I my wife asked the other day she's like hey i was listening to one of you guys episodes and you know, it's not the first time I've heard them say, oh, Dinger's got a couple drinks over there. <laughs> I'm like, that's just for, t- that's not all the time. I see two cups in front wink, of you right wink. now. Because <laughs> based on the Tiny sheet cups. you gave us here, I on the description, I was most looking forward to the Ensemble mm-hmm. 7. But yeah, the Tobasiche, I really enjoy that. And and we we're coming into some dangerous ground because what if I absolutely hated everything? And I was <laughs> I was obviously going to be nice if I didn't enjoy anything because you were kind enough to come on the thing. But I also didn't want to be like, you know. Pander? Yeah. But Just listen to if he says. Uh, my code words? Yeah. yeah. What's, your, what's one of them? It's not. Uh, uh, not for not me. Not for me. Yes. Is that's a big one. I just is, don't like that's it. That's absolute garbage. No, no, no. That one's my <laughs> soft sell where I understand when other people enjoy it. I, mm-hmm. I get it, but I'm just not going to like it, which I have often described Mescal as oh, yeah. just not for me. Uh, um, if I just say it, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it, that's when I really disliked it, but didn't want to be mean about it. Yeah. I've um, done a bunch of tastings now, obviously, with my new my new profession and career here. And I've walked out of a bunch of them where the, the bar manager, the owner, will be like, I don't like Mescal, but I like this. And it, it, to me, it's just like now you're you know, able to taste really good Mescal straight from the source. Because normally something like this wouldn't come to Arizona first. Or, you know, if it, even then, if a big brand were able to pick, or a big distributor would pick it up, um, they'd probably go to New York. California, Texas, Chicago, where they're consuming a ton of mezcal already and say, hey, we have some great mezcal. We're here. It's like we're we're having great mezcal, but we're we're doing a lot of the legwork to say, try this and change what you're breaking those barriers down. Like, oh, wow, this is what really good mezcal is. Now I see why everyone's drinking it across the country. And 
I feel confident going into places where it's not for everyone, but I even have some beer drinkers that make a face the entire time. They go, yeah, we'll take off four. <laughs> and it's just their palate's a little bit different, but they understand. They right. can, they, they, like well, Binger said, they can fall behind the story. And, you know, we talked about Negroni's last week, if you want to call it last week. Um, we, uh, and, and, you know, that's um, Campari was the big was kind of the feature a little bit of that uh, episode just because it is so bitter to uh, unrefined palate, we'll say, or at least somebody mm-hmm. that doesn't have a lot of exposure to it. And I think this is the same thing. Like, you know, it's not something you've likely had before. So if you really want to kind of be able to pick out some of these flavors that you're talking about or listed on the list or whatever, you need to try it a couple of times. And uh, I think if you do that enough times, more often than not, I feel like most people will probably start to come around on it because it is a, it is a very good flavor profile. Like mm-hmm. once you can start picking some of the stuff out and once you can start mixing it in some cocktails and stuff, I think it's, and it's different. That's, that's something big. I mean, gins or whatever are going to have, you know, they're highlighting certain things, citrus or, um, or cucumber yes rose i was thinking of the uh the it's totally escaped me the pine tree juniper juniper thank you well it's in everyone <laughs> well i know but some are stronger than others <laughs> you dick um that uh, is a requirement <laughs> but you know what i'm saying that those you need they're all going to be somewhat similar but they're all going to uh, be gin you know <laughs> Whatever, I'm done. You know what? Fuck it. Well, it's probably because you drank all the Tobasiche pretty quick before you even got it. So since you guys all, I think everyone finished Tobasiche pretty. I got a little bit. Yeah, what pretty did you quickly. For me in this one, this uh, is the that's the okay. But if you want to talk about the Tobasiche, Tobasiche is the name of the agave. Mm-hmm. Dinger keeps saying Karwinski, which is very a very Oaxacan name. There's a ton of Karwinski. Actually, no. You can but say he's wrong. <laughs> no, no. Which he keeps saying it's wrong. It's the scientists <laughs> that discover the plant, just like Blue Weber. That mm. scientist to discover the, the plant that named it. And so that's why he's mentioning Karwinski. It's a German name, German scientist, but it's a whole family of them. So within that family, there's variables, Madre Quiche, Quiche, Tobasiche. The one we have from that family is Tobasiche. So that was the one that was in the Hikara, the little gourd that you guys are drinking of that are hand-painted by our, our little brother Pedro down in Oaxaca. Um, what do you think of that one? That one was easy. I, I thought that one went down real Real easily. And I liked it for that reason, maybe. And I I guess so far out of the three, my take might be I might give someone that one first. But I liked some of the other ones more so far. Would you say any one of these is more suited to put in a drink? Or I guess the other way around. Is there any one where you'd say if you put that with anything else, you're experiencing it wrong? I'm a traditionalist. I, I love it neat. That's how I grew up drinking it. Um, but doing this in the short process, being a non-industry person and now being industry, I realize what I'm giving someone is um, it's, it's art. It, and you're going to do whatever you want to do with your art. So I, I have such a fascination for the mixology going on right now when they're crafting these things. That's why for me, culinary side of it, I, I love working with the chefs and doing our mezcal dinner pairings. The be- I I went to a tasting, God, probably like 10 years ago, and it was for scotch. And the guy goes, if you want to put this great scotch in Kool-Aid, he's like, I'm going to drink it with you because it's going to be the best Kool-Aid ever. <laughs> I'm going to drink it. 
on the rocks. And that, 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 so it's the same thing. If you want to put this in a cocktail, I'll drink it with you because mm-hmm. it's going to simply make the cocktail better. But I prefer it neat. But again, it's always one of those things too. What time of day? What time of year is it? Have I been drinking a ton of neat mezcal? You know what? Give me something. Put some guava, some papaya juice in there and some fresh lemon and I'm, I'm all for it because I've been drinking it so neat for so often. So I, I love the mixology world and we're seeing a ton of the mixologists put these on their yeah. cocktail menu now. And they're phenomenal. And originally, I was like, "No, just me." Like, <laughs> but it, it goes away because I realize it's their imprint on it. They're they're putting their brush strokes on what they how they want to highlight it. And so there's all of them. I think work really well in different cocktails, um, but all of them are great neat because you get to truly taste the spirit the way it was meant. But I'm sure I could bring a cocktail down to our maestro and have him drink it. And he'd be like, "This is great." Like he's he's gonna drink it too because at the end, mm-hmm. you, you love alcohol if you're in this world. You, you do it because you love the way it makes you feel and taste and all those different things. And if you can mix it up for a day, a night, why not? Are, so then are they all around the same price point, your four different ones? The only one that would traditionally be more expensive is our Ensemble Siete. And it, that one requires a lot more um, effort to create it just because it's seven different wild agaves. Mm-hmm. Um, That's what Siete means. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I took... Tenth grade Spanish, so I'm well aware of one through ten and the alphabet. No, I agree. Um, I had kind of a similar experience. I was at a an event and it was a, a scotch tasting, and guy gave the example of you're at a bar, guy next to you orders. Uh, I'm th- pretty sure he said Johnny. He was, he definitely, he worked for Diageo, so his example was Johnny Walker being his super high end and Coke, and you know. So many times you see somebody like frown on, upon that or they'll like scowl at the person and say like, oh, you're ruining it. And he said, turn, if somebody does that to you, if you order this, turn to him and ask him or, and, and thank him. Thank you for what? He's like, well, thank you. Thanks for buying my you're buying my drink, right? If you're going to pay for if if you're paying for it, then you can tell me how to drink it. But if I'm paying <laughs> for it, I'm going to drink yeah. it how the fuck I want to drink it. Yeah. Right? And I was like. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. And I'll I like a scotch and Kool-Aid. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be the best damn Kool-Aid. That is. Um I would say with some of these, I would be afraid to lose specific notes and lose specific characteristics by putting it in a cocktail. Um so also being a purist, I would prefer to drink them neat. Um but I'll go around and try some of those drinks at the bars that they're making. Because that's the way I've been attempting to get into it. As we mentioned before, every time I have a mezcal cocktail, I will take a picture and send it to them and say, see, I'm trying. I'm working on it. Yeah, and I honestly think the majority of cocktails that are using mezcal out there are espadine. Yeah. Uh, especially because of price point. Yeah. Like Abel mentioned before, they can be cultivated. They're much. There's much more of them. So the bottles end up being a cheaper cost. So, of course... Bars are going to have higher profits by putting that in, or you know they're going to charge in the fifteen to twenty dollar range for a cocktail, which can't really get away with that a lot of places. Um, so there's just different ways. If you're doing, if 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 you're going to an establishment that has, you know, we just want the cheapest mezcal we can do to keep our profits up for this cocktail, then maybe you're not getting. Well, I go to places that care. In my neighborhood, I go to the Brickyard, which I know carries your booze. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they, they do. There. You're going to be at the uh, opening of Hidden House? 
I don't know what that is. Oh, it's hidden. I went to the... <laughs> so you're not that big of a brick house, <laughs> a brickyard Yeah, I just go there and buy their stuff all the time. Yeah, it's going to be badass. The part I'll cut right now is I went to the other place, <laughs> the Santan bar. Spirits around. House? Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Like I told... Whoa. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. The, the lighting in there is so... It just oh, right. feels like nostalgia. The second you're in there, it feels like you're currently in a fond memory, which isn't to say like the place is, I enjoyed it, but it's like whatever they're doing with the lighting really made it feel special. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. You know what's super cool? Hmm. Is Carreño is one of five spirits that's in there that's not made by them. Oh, really? Yeah. They oh. have three of our varietals there. And well, now to go yeah. back in the podcast. <laughs> no, it was uh, it was one of those things. I talked to their bar manager and he's like, ah, you know, he he's had an experience with all the bad mezcals and I was like, no, we're a small family producer. And then the owners came in, I didn't know. And I packed up and left. And then I get a call at another account and he goes, Hey, this is Anthony. Can you come back? I go, yeah, come back. And he goes, yeah, I really want to try it. I met Ivan, my partner in the business. He goes, I haven't tried it yet. And tried them and, you know, explain a little bit to him. And he goes, yeah, we'll take these three. And our manager goes, Holy crap. He's like, you're one of five spirits that we're not making now. And nice. Where is this again? Uh, Spirits House is right next to Santan Brewery. It's their used to be their warehouse. Oh, it's Santan um, Spirit. They yeah. they produce. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. called Spirits House. Is their okay. tasting room. Yeah. For it. Yeah. And so he bought three, and I was just super happy, you know, to to go from someone that was like, oh, he's you know didn't really like Mescal, and then the owner came in and says, yeah, we, we want to support you guys. It's a phenomenal product, and to be one of the few that's in there that they don't make again, I. We've only had our shipment. Our first shipment came in in February, and we're already becoming, I think, Arizona's mezcal. With people looking at it as, we know it's not from here, but your roots and your story and your your community are are here with us. And so that's why I think we're being accepted across the board. Because we, again, like you said, if it was bad, you'd be like, not for me. But <laughs> it's good. We're good people, and we're telling a good story, and people can get behind that. And uh, I was super excited. And we're we're gonna be in Hidden House too. I already took the tour to see what my bottle's going to be. So. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I was just down there today. Oh, well, we need to. Next, yeah, We're next not time on I'm the list there. yet, dude. Sorry. <laughs> They're not open yet. Well, be sure to say how much I enjoy enjoy the mezcal. Yeah. So make sure we get enough word of mouth. <laughs> they take my opinion very seriously there. <laughs> very good. <laughs> um, I think we skipped the process. I know you mentioned it. Oh, yeah. So I don't I'm know sorry. if we can. the power of editing can go back. But yeah, you just that's what happens with mezcal. <laughs> I'll do a quick rundown. Harvest the piñas. You want them to cook evenly. So obviously with different sizes, you're going to chop them up to, to make them thinner so you cook evenly. Um, from there, you tahone and mash them. So that's part of ours are cooked in an earthen pit three to five days, depending on the weather conditions. So that's where that smokiness comes from because, again, it's, it's covered by dirt. You pour water in there so the water extinguishes the, the embers that are there and it seals that dirt. Earthen oven is what it turns into. That's where that smokiness comes from. It shouldn't be a smoke bomb, though. It should be subtle with it. From there, you let it rest like a good steak. You then Tahona mash them. Tahona is a 2,000-pound wheel that gets pulled uh, like a caveman. So donkey or horse, or if the tractor's available, we'll pull it and smash it. And that's the same thing if like you're making pesto. You can make pesto and throw it in a blender, or you can smash it up. Like There's a, a rhyme and reason to it. So that's why we smash those cooked agaves that way to get the juices and fibers out. From there, the... The other wild thing is wild fermentation. So we put them in these pine vats with fresh well water and we let the wild yeast go at it. We're not pouring any particular yeast. The palenques, which you call the distilleries, have no walls. 
they have a ceiling, but there's no walls there. So now you have the wild yeast of the super biodiverse Oaxaca going at there. And that's where you get that depth of flavor. They're going to find over, you know, an average like 600 plus yeast inside that mash as it's fermenting. And then from there, once it hits that acidity point, boom, start distilling right away. You have 48 hours to get it distilled and then you double distill. So from start to finish, it's a 28 day process from harvesting to being able to start bottling it up. And all of that starts after the plant is matured, which you said takes anywhere from 10 to 15 to 20 years, depending yeah. on yeah. depending on the species. Is that right? Yeah. So how I'm curious, do you think that could affect like future production as the spirit grows in popularity? Do you think there will be a point where, you know, there might be some shortage because you didn't anticipate, nobody anticipated it growing so quickly? Or do you think it's been kind of properly planned for? Or do you guess there's just a ton down there and you guys are good to go? No, I mean, it's there's a already little, a shortage. A little yeah. bit of, of all of that. I mean, there's still a bunch of wild agaves. There's people planting. Um, we visited some of our friends. And so Santiago Matitlan is the the mecca of all mezcal. It's a little town that's now turning into a factory. There's palenques everywhere. And we visited some friends there and they're, their piñas, you can tell that the quiote, which is the big sprout, hasn't even sprouted, and they're cooking them. So they're cooking them before, but again, it's because they're cultivating them on a farm, and they're like, oh, we're just going to harvest them all, and then we're going to replant. And so you're seeing all these different aspects of people trying to speed up that process. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of learnings from tequila. They had uh, epidemics that wiped out plants and all these different issues, and they saw prices skyrocketed when the that happened. And then what everyone do, all the farmers said, we're not going to plant corn, we're going to plant agave because we're going to be rich in six years. And then there was huge surpluses and prices plummeted and people couldn't sell their agaves. So the smart people are looking at it, okay, we've seen the path, we've seen the pattern. How can we plant when no one's planting? That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to plant as much as we can right now because again, there are a bunch of agaves still down there. Certain people are going to have issues sourcing their plants, sourcing their agaves. We don't have that yet. But Obviously, we want to be a success. We're going to have to look at what does that look like. We're going to have to plant twice as much as we used to plant because they're wild agaves, but when we would take them out, we would put two down. Now, are we going to put three down? Now, are we going to start putting more? Because we have plots of land that we are putting corn and tomatoes on, but we don't have the money yet. We need to start putting the agaves there. What does it look like? Are we going to crowdfund here in Arizona and have all of our friends and compas pitch in and we're going to have plots that we can start planting now so in 10 years, they're going to be ready. Those are all these different things that everyone's trying to plan for. It's what can you do now to be success and what can you do 10, 15, 20 years down the road? And we, me and Ivan, you know, we, we tell people we're, we're putting down agaves in the next two years that our kids are going to be the ones drinking the mezcal with us. We don't even have kids yet. Like that's how we have to look at things. Right. Mm -hmm. Reminds me of some whiskey distillers where they start up and then they put them in the barrel and it's like, well, hopefully in three to 10 years... Whatever, whenever we pull these out, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing. And like Dinger said, trying to tell people like you have to have maturity of 12 years and 25 years. The way I phrased it is it's aged in nature because people think aging is quality. Oh, if it's 18, 20 years aged in barrel, it's, it's, it's expensive. It's got to be good. So I say, hey, our plants are aged in nature for this. And that gives them that perspective like, oh, okay, I get it now. That's why it's clear it was aged in nature, not in a barrel. And again, I want it to taste more like the agave, the earth, than I wanted it to taste like the wood. Right. You, so, oh, sorry, but I was just going to say that to that point, I feel like if it's aged for those types of timeframes, 
five, eight, or 10, 15, 20 years, you won't feel like the, the uh, flavors that are that come about as a result of the aging process from the wood might overtake some of the agave. And at that point, you're losing what makes it kind of special, right? Well, you're not aging in wood for 10, 12. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Well, because you never yeah. hear, because like whiskeys, you're looking or a lot Tequilas of the- Tequilas don't even really get aged that long in wood. Right. Right. And is it, but is that the reason? Because you don't want to lose the agave flavors. Um, I mean, there's, there's old tequila, like an in, in extra añejo or like, I mean, extras, um, even two years, I've had two year aged tequilas that don't taste like tequila anymore, three years. So that might be it. There's not really, I wouldn't say that like down in Mexico, they don't, they even drink aged tequila. You know, they don't drink aged mezcal. That wasn't even allowed until I think like 2005. So that's even like a really new category as far as bottling and, and exporting or importing. Um, tequilas, I think Reposado, the Max, would be drank down there. I think that's more of an American palate, having añejos and extras. Um, but yeah, you don't get, I think two reasons. You, it, it loses a lot of tequila characteristics and then also with angel share or losing yield, you already need a lot of plants to produce a bottle or, you know, enough. If you, now you're putting it in a barrel and you're getting all this loss, this evaporation for what to not taste tequila. You're right. People, when they like the aged ones, they like the way it would, would taste. I, yeah, I've yeah. been very bummed. People are like, Oh, I love a, do you have a Anejo? I go, no, I have my, what's your oldest one? And I go, no, I have a, my plant right here took 20, 25 years like, Oh, but is it aged? I go, no, you like you like wood. No, I don't. I go, yeah, that I like wood. I like mesquite chicken wings and you know, <laughs> like it, it's a flavor profile and aging in barrels is what you're bringing out are the wood flavors and that's what I tell people like yeah, no no yeah. bag on it like you just like wood flavor. I Right. It's and a, it's a flavor profile. Palette. And that that's goes a- back to the book about uh the author's kind of mocking of people who really enjoy bourbon like you enjoy sweet oak juice and that's mm-hmm. fine but it's not what we're going for. But I wanted to quick before anyone jumps in, because marketing-wise, age statement is like the thing for scotches and to a lesser extent, whiskeys. Do you see anyone putting it on bottles, like making that move to try and market themselves? I feel like maybe I've seen the maturity time or or you'll see fully matured labeled on it. Or like the big like 20 years and then the smaller part like plant growth. <laughs> Just because people will really now. like the age. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah. it is. I've copyright me. I've had yeah. some battles with Arthea trying to get our label a certain way because um, she has her vision, and I have again what I'm coming from a non-industry person, someone that's just been drinking it, you know, as a as a fan of it, and then now having to say what what is it going to sell? And I said this is is important to put that it's wild. It's important to put the time on there, um, but again, trying to figure out what that looks like and so people understand it. But that's a made on, obviously on our flight map on the back of it. That's what we talk about because it does help people appreciate it more. Because in the American psyche, it's like, oh, the older it is, it has to be right. more valuable. Well, we have moved on to the third one and actually since probably killed it, most of us. But yeah. uh, that was the Tepestate. Tepestate. Right? Okay. That's where you poured me? The yeah. third Let me one. hear you say it, Micah, because that's the important thing is be able to name the agaves. <laughs> Tepestate. 
Tepestate. There you go. Perfect. Nailed it. So that's the old boy. The bunch takes 20 to 25 years. Um, size similar maybe to like your tequila plant, but the, the pencas, which are the leaves, real floppy and erratic, like spiked um, ears to give you like perspective on it. Mm. Whereas your tequila plant, sharp, sword-like, thinner. <laughs> Dinger's acting it yeah, out. Stage, stage Dinger's note. doing YMCA. Yeah. Instead of this. Yeah. It's not really agave. <laughs> or tepestate. Well, I'm yeah. ready for Are the ensemble because that was the one I had picked out to enjoy. It's the flagship. Um, Did that you one's super, no. super no, special. Yeah, I, you guys I haven't talked about the tepestate yet. I think we're, I poured it for you. Well, they drank it. So you poured well, me the wrong one. Well, so, no, you no. already drank the tepestate. Yeah. No, yeah, that tell was, us what you think about it. That was what oh. was in the copita the second time. Do you that remember was, drinking it the second time? So we've had three. That would be my third favorite. Mm. Oh, that one I think was my first favorite so far. Yeah, well, that too. makes sense because he doesn't drink mezcal. <laughs> so when, I, when I'm going into a, a tequila bar or somewhere, they drink a lot of agave. Tepestate is always their number one. Like hmm. what is it about it? I, I mean, I, I couldn't tell if I actually was getting some spice or if it was just that I read jalapeno first and then I was <laughs> just making that up in my mind. No, it's there. I mean, it's, it's again, it's not something we put in it. it, yeah. it the way I look at it, I imagine it as it's since it's the grandfather. What happens when you get old? You get ornery. You're very like on edge. Just give zero fucks. And I feel like well, Tepestate represents that. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's it's spicy. It's very bold. It's up. It's in your face. Um, and it represents that plant very yeah, well. I get more, um, I get that, like, so, like kind of this warmth to it, like a jalapeno after you're eating it, not like that full, like, goes to the eyes spice of jalapeno, but like the, the green kind of like warmth of it, uh, almost this like minerality to it. You're just reading words off the thing now. <laughs> no, I am not. I don't have that in front of me, <laughs> dick. Does it say mineral? It says rich minerality. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm, I'm out of here. Drop the mic, you're out. If this mic wasn't attached to the table, I'd drop this shit right now. Our notes are really good. Please don't. We, we did enough <laughs> yeah. Mezcal Mondays with a bunch. I mean, we were blessed to have some of the top chefs come in our backyard and hang out with us and yeah. eat my almond dip and drink my Mezcal. And their palates are beyond what, what ours are ever going to be. Right. I mean, they just, they know their stuff and hearing them talk about the spirit repeatedly. And, you know, Chef Juan was like, Oh, I taste Szechuan from, you know, our Toba lens. It's so cool to be part of those meetings now doing our mezcal dinners where they're decoding it. But our notes are really right on point with what our mezcal brings because we've had some of the best people in Arizona talk about it. Like that sounds great. We're going to write that one down because <laughs> Say it again. Yeah, it really, it really, cause we, we, it's tough again it's just like with drinking wine it's very tough you know someone like oh i taste leather or black cherry and bruised apricot and there's so many different things they could say yeah i never attempt any of those when you, <laughs> when you hear someone say it it you you figure it out and then you can reuse it because now you 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 do taste it you do visually see it with your taste buds speaking of chefs don't you have a cheese story that's relevant right now? <laughs> you know so there was <laughs> when you when you talk of palates i was gonna bring it up earlier i kind of waited because i didn't want to interrupt but you know go back to these things because one day your palate could be different than the last yeah your palate changes every day there is the chef who does a little experiment with cheese but you know maybe we'll <laughs> save it for a different day it's it's an inside joke he has this very relevant story about a chef eating cheese to like his baseline on his palate but i've cut it out like cuts three it times. every fucking time <laughs> i think it's, it's a the good coolest story, story and there's a great place for it. it yeah it's so just far, not none yet of them. 
cut cut all three together. Or I just know. Cut, cut them all together and I'm have the cheese compilation. I'm going to tell it to you, and then when you're editing, maybe you can decide if it's relevant or One not. One of these times, we could just publish, like, yeah, an episode of Just Your Cheese Story. It'll mm. be a, a five-minute episode, but just we need to get it out there. I don't remember where I, I – I don't remember if I read about it or if it was on, like, a chef's table documentary, um, Netflix, whatever. There's this producer in his town where he is a chef – and every single day he goes and he eats this cheese. It's the first thing he eats of the day. He knows that this producer is extremely consistent. He knows it's a very mild cheese. So it's the same every single time. So he, he'll he take a bite and then he calibrates his palate based on what it tastes like that day. Interesting. So if one day it's salty, he's like, well, I know this is not a salty cheese, this is a very mild cheese. Oh, here we go. So now I need to not add, you know, I need to add more salt because I'm tasting salt, but salt's not actually there. And it was a way to understand that your palate is totally different every single day. And it's not, and everybody else's is, you know, like it's all about the environment. You talk about yeasts, the natural yeasts that are fermenting these things. If you try to bring that same stuff up, vat it, bring it up to Phoenix and now throw it outside and let it ferment for the same amount of time, you're getting a different thing. So every, everything in your daily environments changes your palate. See, you keep retelling. It keeps getting better. <laughs> it's going to get cut one, again. I, <laughs> no, I was going to say, or I was saying that we're just going to publish a five-minute episode of this cheese story because it needs to of be each told. One, you're going to yep. go back to yeah. episodes, <laughs> see if you tell it the same each time. It'll be funny because we'll have like four different voices around it. Like uh, we'll have Abel, we'll have Chanel, we'll have yeah. me, and we'll just like every different time. And then one day on the 100th episode, I'm going to track down that chef <laughs> and bring him in here. That. We got to figure out. You got to figure out where you heard that, what it is. I think I have a source I can find it out. Because yeah. I do, I know I say this every time, but I do like this story. It just always gets cut. I never time. even noticed that you you cut it out. Yeah. I think because you don't it, listen to yeah. them. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Hard to notice. <laughs> yeah, I like it. But it does make I mean, sense. I thought it was a great story. I mean, it really is. Your palate changes. Right. You did tweak it a bit because that part about palate changing... Mm-hmm. As far That's as the, the whole audience. point of the story. <laughs> I know, but you never connected with the audience. That's why it always gets cut. Yeah. Now we have something. So, Abel, I don't know. I'm sorry or you're welcome. You have the cheese story in your episode. <laughs> the mezcal brings out um, our, our good friend Chris Malloy. He's a good friend now from Phoenix New Times when he came out to one of our – we did like a little – our first podcast ever actually with him. And he said mezcal is a very cerebral buzz. He's like, that's why I really like it mm. because I don't – feel like I'm getting sloppy. I feel like yeah. I'm still there, but I have the buzz, but everything's there. So maybe it's that's super why clean. Mike is more eloquent. It's yeah. happy. There it is. It's a happy buzz. I feel like I got to put it to the test now. Next day, like zero hangover. Yeah. We've done the R&D I on that. I put that to test too. <laughs> yeah. Half a bottle. Um, and I feel great because I'm a results-oriented all... drinker and Sorry. I have to get stuff done the next day. That's yeah. why I love mezcal because I can yeah. drink it, I get my buzz and then boom, wake up. Five in the morning. That's your sales pitch right there. Yeah. No, it's true. Like even tequila, I I find that way. Um, But more so on the like, I don't want to say euphoric high, but like that like cerebral, you just feel really good. You're happy. 
the best part. And I probably didn't tell the story that well in the beginning because that was like during the, what, the fucking rum fire tiki episode. <laughs> Talk about it, the first you know, time. Well, have a compar- hangover comparison with mezcal or rum fire. Yeah, I'll have to dig it up. But my favorite part about this is I reset the camera. So now we have it on video. So this is definitely getting pushed out there. What? To the world. The cheese story? Yeah. Because <laughs> we even set it up that I cut it every time. Now we have it on video for the first time. <laughs> We're going public with the cheese story. <laughs> it's good. I love it. All right. So we. Like, what's this? It's the, just got full all of a sudden. Right. So that you poured the, the ensemble. Yeah. Ensemble Siete. So that is our blend of seven wild agaves. So again, our brand name is Carreño. Carreño is the family name. Um, Arthea, who runs everything down in Oaxaca, she has nine other siblings, three brothers, which are represented in the mono bridles, meaning one agave. And she has six sisters. So her and her sisters are the seven sisters. So that's what represents the ensemble Siete. Just like them, it's both complex yet delicate. Um, you'll see when you taste it, it is so much going on in there, but it's still very balanced. Um, the reason we did seven was to honor that, but it's actually a tradition that goes back before them. Um, I should say back when they were younger. In Oaxaca, what, they're all farmers again. So what do you do? You make babies. <laughs> Help on the farm. <laughs> so Don Pedro, our grandfather, was very uh, set on his ways. And he had his daughter first, and then two boys. And he's like, all right, we're having three Three boys, Mama Luthi, his wife, then we're done having kids. She goes, okay, that sounds fair. Well, as soon as he said that, made it his promise to him, everybody, girl, girl, <laughs> girl, girl, girl. So it became like a running joke amongst you know, all the brothers. Hey, Pedro, maybe you should give Luthi a break. You're not going to have a boy. Nope, we're having a boy. So <laughs> kept having him. Finally had Milton. That's the, the, the third boy and the 10th child. All right, we're done having kids. And so because it now was a running joke amongst the family, his dad, the great-grandfather, was like, all right, we're going to make, I'm making an ensemble siete in honor of my seven granddaughters that I was meant to have. So that is our way of connecting back to the past and doing it here. And as you'll see, it, it, it's just so different than all the rest. And that's what's so fun about it is it's something that, again, was, was made with purpose, but then has a cool story. And then it just, the, the flavor of it backs it up. Well, I feel like I was... I've been vindicated because <laughs> after reading the thing, I thought this was going to be my favorite, and it, it is now. Yeah. So, not that anyone is on the edge of their seat for my official rankings <laughs> for today. Uh, so, yeah, the ensemble, the Tobasiche, the Tobola, and then the Tepestate. In that order. Nice. And they're um, all great in their own set. I might, I, I've referenced the vendors and they're all had their own special powers, but together they can do something different. And that's the ensemble siete. It's coming together. And that one, I should preface it. It wasn't, we didn't blend liquids. We weighed out all the different ones and we'll, we'll go into more of the language. So it has tobala, tobasiche, tepestate, espadin, lumbre, quiote, and quiche. So those are all the seven different agaves. We actually weighed them out. So we had a balanced weight chopped them so they're all equal in terms of size, and then cooked them together, we mashed them together, we fermented together, and we double distilled together. So it's a true marriage of the flavors right. versus us pouring in liquids. So that's why you're tasting something that is so profound is because it was done the artisanal way from start to finish. I don't know why, but I like that so much better than hearing that we you know, distilled them separately and then dumped them in a 
did a blend. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. I mean, great story. the power of storytelling. You, I mean, it just to make the connection, like I've mm-hmm. reiterated, I think a number of times already, but, uh, it's just great to, I know <laughs> Mike is pissed already <laughs> knocking shit over. Um, I did it once today. So <laughs> I guess I got, everyone gets one pass. But yeah, I think uh, hearing everything you've said about uh, Mezcal Carreño is just, it It makes everything taste that much better. But uh, but they all did taste very good in their own right, I would say. Which one, by the way, Dinger, was the one that you brought on that trip that we took a couple weeks ago? Well, probably a couple months. Tepistate. Was it? No, Tobasiche. Oh, was what it? What did I get? Oh. He got a bottle and brought it. I think it's Tobasiche. Oh, okay. Good choice. I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked it, but I I would have thought it was not Tobasiche. But I was I, there wasn't other mezcals I was comparing it to at the time, but uh But uh, you know, like the cheese story, the uh, natural airborne yeasts up in Heber were totally different. So our palate <laughs> our palate was probably different that day. And it's not like we were only drinking mezcal either. Yeah, so. that was that was nighttime when we cracked that bottle, so <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Late nighttime too. Um, do you have any real favorite mezcal cocktail that you, that's kind of is a go-to if you're going to have mezcal in a cocktail? Uh, no, I am. <laughs> no, I, I do not. I, yeah. I, I drink it neat, but at home I rarely make cocktails. We pour it neat, maybe ice. If friends come over, I'll, I'll maybe I'll go get some, some orange juice or I, I really love beet actually. Mm-hmm. Beet juice works really well with mezcal cause that earthiness, yeah. um, but Sounds good. Yeah, I'm I'm normally just a neat guy or whatever the bartender I'm with. Like I let them do their their craft. Small orange slice and some salty gusano. Mm-hmm. Would you like a mezcal last word? <laughs> I don't know what a last word is. Even better. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, we were going to say with uh, your permission with one of these, we were going to try. Well, we've been. Uh, I think several people have recommended. Um, Mezcal last mezcal word. Mezcal last word as being a great variation of the last word with mezcal because we've talked about how we like mezcal. Um, so, yeah, we were thinking maybe we would try to mix that up to see how see how it goes down. Um, but I'm going to preface it with you have to eat some of my chapulines, which are uh, grasshoppers. Oh, okay. Yeah, I forgot about these things. When, when Dinger mentioned sal de gusano, <laughs> that is uh, warm salt that traditionally when you're drinking some nice mezcal like this in Oaxaca City or Mexico City, like you'll get orange, thin sliced oranges. They'll sprinkle this warm salt, which is a very earthy, spicy salt. Imagine tahine, but the next level traditional tahine, no citrus spice um, on your oranges. And you'll nibble on that. It's not like a tequila shot where you're trying to cover up the flavor. You just nibble it. And again, that's part of why food such an important component to mezcal and why I love working with the chefs. Have a little sal de gusano and then maybe some grasshoppers in your taco or I've seen them in cocktails and... Uh, I bring the real Oaxaca to you guys. Nice. I like it. I just, or I didn't just see, this was a while ago, but I, uh, it got on, it, it caught the news uh, that one of the drinks that made Bitter and Twisted's menu was um, served with a little sidecar type of uh, thing of, of um, grasshoppers. Really? Yeah. I've had grasshoppers, but in power bar form. <laughs> so it's not like you're actually... You know, face to face. 
Yeah, take a look at them. They got cute little eyes. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I feel like I shouldn't look at them. I'm yeah. not a big bug guy. <laughs> Those are straight from Oaxaca. We, um, so when you go to the, you go to the markets in Oaxaca, I mean, go to, go travel to Oaxaca. It's known for art, gastronomy, coffee, chocolate, mezcal. It's really good. Slice of heaven. Best crickets I've ever had. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Grasshoppers. Grasshoppers. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you'll go into the markets there and we're looking for the Chapulines lady. We're like, where's the Chapulines lady? They're pointing us to different places. They go, God damn, none of these people know where they're at. <laughs> and you go there and she has these massive walks and she has three different sizes. So these are like medium, but she has three different sizes of, of grasshoppers and she'll scoop them out like you're buying bulk nuts at Whole Foods <laughs> or something and put them in a bag and scale them out. And there you go. Those are your little Chapulines you can go take home and eat, but they're quite tasty and... That feels like a good way to get someone to drink the mezcal because I'm just like, uh, I don't know if I liked these grasshoppers or not, but I definitely need something to wash them down. Mezcal. <laughs> I enjoyed the grasshopper. No, I, I mean, the flavor was good. And I'm, you know, it, I don't know what they taste like without whatever's on them, but I mean, <laughs> I liked, it was like kind of tart. Um, and it actually yeah, went nice really seasoning. well with the mezcal. Uh, Colton brought some back one, uh, after one of his trips and, he gave them to me, and they were bigger than this. I had them. I was like, "Man, really good flavor," but that one was still a little juicy. Yeah. <laughs> that one wasn't dried out too much. Still good though. Yeah, and Colton, Colton's awesome. You mentioned him earlier. Colton's actually he's been super helpful with us. He is the godfather of agave in Arizona. I love it because he's from here, and he has such a passion and knowledge about it. And I, I say, if Colton's going to help. There's going to be a bunch of Coltons in the next 10, 20 years of people that are from here because we have that connection to Mexico. It's our neighbor. And he is just really leading the charge on making people appreciate mezcal, teaching them because, again, that's what it comes down to, teaching people what it really means. And he's, he's been down a bunch of different palenques down there. Uh, but he is a great person to have as our, ambassador, our unofficial ambassador for agave spirits here, especially mezcal. He cares so much about it and really cares about the right stuff. And he is just an awesome person if you ever get a chance. Go to Ladera. I, I just actually messaged him the other day. I was like, I haven't had a, a, a session. If you're, <laughs> if you're in really good with him, he might, he might pop out a couple extra cool bottles for you. Um, but just such a, a good, good guy, super knowledgeable guy about mezcal and agave spirits. And Ladera is a fantastic place. Now that you know, Micah, that you do appreciate mezcal, <laughs> go see Colton. Colton will hook it up and uh, take you on a little journey and I've had mezcal with him from like 1995 before mm. it was legit. And like, yeah. it, it's just always a, a fun time visiting with him. He goes down there two, three times a year. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think of the Salve Gusano? You need to get some pictures with the, of the drink. You're going to need to take some good yeah. shots of the bottles. Right. Cause the bottles, we didn't really talk about bottles. Yeah. I like they're sleek and they're like a story. Yeah. They're heavy. I yeah. mean, it's like, yeah, yeah, I'll grab. Really cool. I'll grab pictures of stuff. You make a drink, and we'll. So but you gotta get some grasshoppers in there. Hey guys, yeah. what'd you think of the Salde Gusano? What? He asked you that. There's a lot. That's the thing with mezcal. We can talk. We would. This could be yeah. a two part series. Yeah. Because there's just so much from the. We haven't even talked about the laws and the legality, and I mean, there's just crazy amounts of stuff. What? So what was the second so, thing that? So Salde Gusano translates into worm salt, and it's a moth larva. That oh. They harvest during the rainy season. So well, thanks for telling me after. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I actually do ask people, are, are you vegan? It wasn't something I learned. I didn't learn myself because I gave it to a vegan, but a vegan came over at a tasting we did down in Tucson. I'm like, oh, is that the salt of Gusano? I go, oh, yeah, you want some? He goes, no, no, I'm a vegan. He goes, I just had some over there. I was like, oh, shit, day zero. Huh? Mm. He's like, yeah. <laughs> but so I, I, I clearly <laughs> asked people that now. Yeah. Well, yeah, wow. even pachugas, but it, it's warm salt with a little bit of chili de arbol, 
chili agua. That's why it gets spicy up front, spicy mm-hmm. on the back end, and then some salt and some spices from Oaxaca. And Artia makes it. And it's been such a hit that we didn't realize we need to bring that up too. So we're going to have her make a bunch of it and we're going to bring it up and give it to some of the chefs because they're like, I need to make, again, the chefs, as soon as they try our stuff, they fall in love. They're like their their mind instantly goes to what they want to pair it with, with this stuff, with the saw, how they want to cook it. It's just a fascinating time to be doing what we're doing because the chefs aren't experienced with it. And as soon as they hit it, their mind starts going to places. <laughs> Not cool. This is tasty. I like it. Yeah, it came out already. Mm-hmm. Good. It's a good. But then drink. again, I am a chartreuse it's fan. All right. And that that was one of the things when we started diving into this. I realized because I would go to bars. Oops. Go a little far away. <laughs> <laughs> I would go to bars and I would order mezcal. You know, doing my R and D. But I was like, all right, we're we're gonna bring. Like, it, there was the R and D was literally like, this is what we should do. We're gonna bring it up. I know it's good. I've drank it. Let's do it. And then. As we were already going through that process, like I should probably drink mezcal in places and see what they have. And it was, I would ask the bartender, hey, what kind of mezcal do you have? And they would always get excited. And I was like, oh shit, I am ordering something that I don't usually order things and they don't get this way. And it was yeah. consistent, like, oh wow, yeah, I actually have something new. Or ooh, I didn't realize it was the industry drink and chartreuse was that for a long time. And now yeah. I'm seeing that it is mezcal is that mm-hmm. industry drink for yeah. the most part. Yeah, bartenders definitely love subbing it in or making making a mezcal drink yeah at the end of the night i feel like anytime i say bartender's choice 50 50 i almost always get mezcal and fernet mm. Which oh I'm, that's, I'm yeah, good. that's big right now yeah. yeah i'm good with it but it's that's that's the go-to it seems like for bartenders i was just at death and co in denver and you was... say bartender's choice 50 50 yep or you just say bartender's choice and they give you 50-50. I've done both where I've said it kind of something, I want something just to close the night. Usually I might just have a shot, a, a sipper for Ned or um, something like that. And they'll say, I got it. I got you. Yeah. If I say 50-50, it's definitely mezcal for Ned. Sometimes yeah. I don't even have to say it though. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's the last word. And uh, that, I think that is a really good variation. It's funny because after sipping mezcal neat for the last hour or so i tasted it and i was like oh all this other stuff's in the way i just want to taste the mezcal a little bit so um so i could i could see quickly becoming a purist and just wanting to drink (laughs) mezcal neat but that said i also don't know if i would make a last word now with just gin i think i really like it with the mezcal so and for those of you that are interested out there uh, the cocktail that we are sipping is a, a, a classic last word just with mezcal uh, substituted for gin. So it's three-quarter ounce mezcal. We use the tepestate, three-quarter ounce lime juice, three-quarter ounce maraschino liqueur, which we use the luxardo, and three-quarter ounce green chartreuse. And it is quite tasty. Oh, yeah, I'm, an, nice. I'm thoroughly enjoying it, especially because I'm eating all the solid goose on it right now. So it really <laughs> helps. Yeah, I bet with the, the spice, the little yep. sweetness. Oh, yeah. Cut through. In my mezcal research, that uh, they pointed out that some tequilas, they pointed out one in particular. I don't remember what it was, but uh, had they were smoking it in a way to add a smoke flavor to make it taste so, like mezcal. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, just like uh, Cuervo, the Maestro de Bell, the uh, uh, what? What's the name of it? I don't know, but it's a, uh, but it's not smoked agave it's like actual smoke infused tequila Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And what does that say? I mean, that's good, though, because that says that Mezcal is a category that is growing, and that's this is a characteristic we're going to put in so we can now have a new marketing tool for our tequila yeah. to to get those drinkers to come back to tequila, to come and, right. you know, and to, it's like to drink our stuff. Version. <laughs> yeah, we tried it once because they didn't have – we went to a tequila bar. Oh, they got to have at least one Mezcal. No. They were like, we have smoky tequila. And I was like, uh it's two for one night. I was like, all right, well, me and Ivan, when I meet my compo there, like, all right, we'll do it. Nope. It was not what we expected. I can't <laughs> remember what brand it was, but it wasn't, it wasn't good. Yeah. I've seen uh, in some places mezcal bars pop up too, when I really would like to try that sometime. Oh, yeah. No. We uh, need one in, we need one in Phoenix. We have a couple. We have a couple. Ladera. Fe- uh, mezcal bars that are like yeah. mezcal only? Well, L- Ladera literally yeah. has like a, the whole half of the bar is 100 Probably different mezcals Ooh. for sure. Centrico, yeah. another one. Centrico. Heavy, heavy into mezcal. Um, Chico I have mes- Malo downtown. They've yeah. got a big selection. Mm-hmm. It's just they're they're just not putting it out there. I mean, there's more like Centrico says it's Centrico Mexican food tequila eat mezcal. Like there's more people are now starting to put it on there. Um, but I just met with him last week, and he wants now the mezcal to be as big as his tequila selection. Yep. So he's building shelves, and that's going to grow. Ladera, obviously. Um, you know, some of the barrios have huge selections, but I'd say the tequila outweighs the mezcal selection. Um, but the cool part about this whole category is tequila has been big for a long time. Mezcal has now been big for a decent amount of time. It's continuing to grow. But now you're seeing Bacanoras and you're seeing all those categories come in. You're seeing more Sotol, more Sotol brands, which yep. isn't a Mezcal. It's, like it's not made from the agave plant, but it's a spirit of Mexico. And so it's just really cool that it's being giving attention. Raicillas now are getting attention. And I believe I just heard that like within the last month um, just received its own deal. So now you're going to see even more Raicillas yep. coming. And that's a crazy spirit. Um, the there's deal? charandas denomination of origin mm-hmm. so champagne mm. you gotta explain this stuff to us Daniel. Armagnac it is now it yeah. has a it has a there are a, still amateurs on the yeah. other side <laughs> yeah. I knew and I was like oh this I know but I, I was looking at you guys' faces like I don't think they know what DO means because <laughs> there could be appellation of origin or denomination of origin um, but yeah it's a certain plant process place and that's the thing Mex- again Tequila was the first one outside of the EU to have a DO with tequila. So it was a very, the Europeans were the first ones, cognac, Guerre cheese, you know, these are, they wanted to keep their roots. And now you see everybody else realizing it. It, it is a great thing if you can say, this is what it is from this place made by these people in this process. Yeah. And that, that gives it a gold star. And that's what happened with Mezcal in 1995. It got um, Mexico first had to say, okay, this is, we're recognizing it here. And then internationally it got recognized in 96. And then that's when Ron Cooper brought it up. It was right after that. Was With now, Del it was Maguey. A, yep. Was Ron now Cooper's it's a, Sorry, yeah, it was a recognized spirit. And that's what makes people, oh, okay, it's legit now. It's not the worm in the bottle. It's not the thing that's killing people. It's, mm-hmm. we, we know now this has an actual path to trace back to where it's from. And that, we see that with our food, our farmers, you know, we, there's so many great farmers here that we go to restaurants now and it says made from Twisted Infusion or Reba. Like it's, it's awesome to see that connection to what we're putting in our bodies. Mm-hmm. So I got a question. I know Dios happened way later for Mezcal, 
but traditionally, was mezcal before tequila or was tequila before mezcal? Tequila was before mezcal. 1595, the king of Spain gave the first permit to, mm, his name is like Jesus Chavez de blah, 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 Cuervo, mm. to have vino mezcal de tequila. And that was when it, and it first was shipped to the U.S. in like 1870 something, as vino de. Uh, it it was tequila de mezcal, and as it got popular, it just became tequila, and so that, that's kind of. And as it grew, mezcal faded in. But again, most mezcal's normally from Oaxaca. Oaxaca's closer to South America to Belize and all that. It is a very very poor state. It's been the fourth. It, it used to be the third. Now it's, I think it's the fourth poorest um, poverty level in all of Mexico. So no money's there. No people are going there. And it, that's why Guadalajara and all those places did really well because tourism started going there. Tequila got popular. Wasn't catching attention. But now you're seeing those same effects in Oaxaca. People are coming. It, the United Airlines has a direct flight from Texas to Oaxaca now, Oaxaca City, where it never, really, it never existed before. You have to go to Mexico City and wait around for a while and then fly down there. So there's all these things that are happening now. And it was just tequila. It shined. It, the businesses gravitated towards it, and they did a really good job marketing it, and that's what you know set the, the path. And I think it's actually a good thing because now Mezcal has so much more to offer in terms of all the bridles and its process that it does come up now because we live in an age where we want things as they were. We, it's so funny. The more advanced we get, the more we want to go back rustic. <laughs> go figure. Well, I was wrong then because I always thought that mezcal was the way that agave was being produced. And then the town of Tequila or the valley in Jalisco said, well, we want to do it this way. So they started well, technically, more of the brick oven. They're all not. mezcals. So they are, right? You're right, and I'm right because tequila is a is a mezcal, but it was. But tequila. I didn't know the um, the licensing too. Yeah. So that totally makes sense. Yep. So yeah, tequila got its denomination of origin in like the '70s, early '70s, I think, and that's when it became looked upon as a better better classification of spirit from Mexico. Lots this, to learn, and that's just yeah. I was gonna say this has been very informational. I haven't talked yeah. about the rabbits yet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, and I'm sure there's so much more to yeah. talk about, but. Yeah, it, I mean... Part two, yeah. six months from now. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Episode 13. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Again, yeah. uh, you mentioned it, but if people want to find you, it's Mezcal Carreño US. Are there dots in that or no? I feel like... Or period? Well, that's yeah. The, yeah. At, that's Instagram. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Well, no. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> well, yeah, Dinger. Hey, where can I find him at? <laughs> it's, it's super cool now. We have friends like... Or I should say people I meet, I'm like, type in Mez. And then as soon as they type in Mez, we pop up first. Where before, I was like, oh, search down. Oh, it's right here. That's the fun part now. Our social media game has grown. We're really good on, if you're following, if you want to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and whatnot, it's Mezcal Carreño, C-A-R-R-E-N-O-U-S. Um, but it's awesome to have people like tag us and share us. Oh, I'm, I was just the gladly, I saw your bottles. Or mm-hmm. we're at Anejo, or what is it? Um, Angelo, the new place that took over uh, the Georgian Dragon downtown. Hmm. They have a couple cocktails with our um, mezcal, and it's just getting people like sending pictures all the time. It's like super cool to, you know, we've done a lot of work. It's been a lot of everything. You know, today I was, I'm dressed like this because I was doing accounting all day. 
so. <laughs> wearing tons of different hats. And so yeah. to have people like share it all, it's just phenomenal to see like the excitement. Because again, we're blessed that we don't have any money because I think people were able to resonate with people better. But everyone that we've met through this journey, they're family. They're our compass is what we call. Like we didn't realize our LLC is actually compass spirits. And so we're all compas in this room now. <laughs> uh, and it's something that me and Ivan always say, hey, hey company, this, hey, company, this. And now it's, I walk into uh, Chula Seafood and they're like, compa, like it became its own thing. And it's just because it's just been us. And so it's been fun to see the community like connect to us um, in all aspects of what we do. Absolutely. That's cool. And so, again, we, we, love food being part of our mezcal culture so lots of events if you follow us on facebook you will have some of our different tastings for classes and then food pairings and whatnot there's a, a lot in store of what we want to teach and tell people about mezcal carino as we grow as a brand and as a company well thanks so much for being here and teaching us a little bit about it um I really enjoyed, I think we all really enjoyed all four of them, and I'm happy to go out and support this and uh, spread the good word about Mezcal Carreño. So again, thanks a lot for coming on. Uh, if you guys need to reach us or have any questions for us or for us to follow up on anything we talked about, you can reach us at alwaysparched uh, at gmail.com or alwaysparched uh, on Facebook and Instagram. Mostly Instagram. Mostly Instagram. We got to get better at Facebook. <laughs> um, I saw you changed our business hours, so that's good. Some I got a notification from Facebook <laughs> saying, hey, complete your profile. And I was like, what do I need to complete on this? I barely even use it. And I like was just trying to get the notification to go away. So yeah. I like, changed the two things to save and close it out. And then I saw it posted. I was like, what is that <laughs> yeah. post? And I was dumb, but I didn't care. Mm-hmm. Anyways. So you guys aren't 24-7? Yeah, what is it? What are our business hours? Well, I think it had something on there about us having business hours, like regular business hours. So I think I just said we don't have any or something, (laughs) which may have translated to, oh, we're open 24-7. Yeah, yeah, we are. We are. Is that what it is? I'm going to DM you guys (laughs) 2 (laughs) a.m. We we get right back to you. Are you thirsty? (laughs) (laughs) Always. <laughs> That's the response I would appreciate. Always. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot for listening. Stay hydrated, kiddos. Bye bye. All right. Thanks, Compass. Oh, am I too, too close? You're blowing it up. You're am already, I too close right here? You already talk loud enough. You don't have to be on it. Riff, trend of celebrities buying and selling liquor brands. Here we go again. New Breaking Bad Mezcal. I'm not giving you notes in Dos Hombres. Dick. If you wouldn't have backtracked, I could have just cut that. And you would have sounded like a pro the first time around.
getting dirty looks from Dinger. <laughs> no, you weren't. I was smiling that you fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> Great. There goes the explicit on iTunes. <laughs>